Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Well, good evening. Welcome. Great to uh, have you with us this evening, especially if, uh, if you're new or you are visiting uh, us this evening. It's, um, it's great to see you. And um, Do keep your Bible open in front of you. We're going to be looking at that passage that was read for us for the next little while together. And uh, I'm going to begin just by praying to God and asking him to help us understand it as we look at it together. And so let's pray. Our Lord God, this evening we, we want to know more of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray, would you help me as I speak and help us all as we listen to see and hear and know more of Jesus as he really is in his name. Amen. Okay, so here's a question for you. What will keep you safe as a Christian all the way to heaven? What will keep you safe What will keep you trusting Jesus all the way to the end of your life or to the day that Jesus comes back? Uh, As a parent, I find myself often warning my children to keep them safe. Uh, You know the sort of thing I'm talking about. Don't run into the road. You need to watch out for traffic. Don't eat those mushrooms you found growing in the lawn and definitely don't feed them to your younger brother. Watch out for poisonous things in the garden. Uh, I remember my parents uh, warning me when I was a teenager. Very vividly, I remember going to a concert in quite a shady part of London. And my dad saying to me, look, when you come out of the train station, you turn right onto the high street and you stay on the high street 
and you don't go down any of the alleyways and you stay on the high street all the way to the venue just at the other end because it's a shady part of town and you need to watch out. You see, as parents, we, uh, we warn our kids. I- ideally, we warn them uh, on the front end, don't we? So that things will be all right by the back end of the evening. And the Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter to the Philippians, in some ways, he's like a sort of spiritual parent to this church in Philippi. So he had visited the city, he'd preached about Jesus, and he'd started the church there in Philippi, and he writes this letter to them as a parent, in a sense, to urge them. Uh, The key verse we've seen together is chapter 1, verse 27, where he urges them, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And here... Like a loving parent, having, having encouraged them in all sorts of ways to strive together for the gospel, Paul turns to, to warn them, to want to keep them safe, as parents do. Uh, just have a look at chapter 3, verse 1, at the beginning of our passage that was read for us. He says, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. And then he goes on in verse 2, watch out, watch out for things. Paul, almost like a sort of spiritual parent to these Christians, says that there is, there's a danger out there you need to watch out for, and I'm going to tell you what will keep you safe, what will keep you going. At other points in the letter, he's referred to it as standing firm in the gospel. In fact, the whole of this chapter is building up to chapter 4, verse 1, where he'll say, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for my joy and my crown, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. You see, here is the apostle, a a sort of spiritual parent, saying, stay safe, watch out. And the headline, the headline thing that is going to keep us safe as Christians all the way to heaven is there at the beginning of verse 1. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. That is... Rejoice in Jesus Christ. Uh, We've seen together in chapter 2 that um, Jesus has been given the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so Paul says, Rejoice in Jesus. Enjoy knowing Jesus. Make him your goal your hope, your happiness, your treasure, your ambition, your aspiration. Make Jesus your your waking and your sleeping, your beginning and your end. Rejoice in the Lord. That is the thing that will keep you safe. And Philippians 3, 1 to 11 is going to unpack what it means to rejoice in the Lord for us. Uh, There's a warning and an example. And the, the warning, the watch out, is this. Beware of self-confidence. Paul says, beware of self-confidence. Look down at verse 2 with me. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. See, here he is in full-on concerned parent mode. Watch out. 
In the Christian life, there are people, Paul says, that you need to beware of, to be on your guard, to be careful. And who are they? Well, you might know that in Paul's life, he was constantly in fierce debate with other Jewish teachers. Paul was Jewish, but other Jewish teachers who insisted that in order to know God and to be part of his people, you needed to be circumcised and obey the Jewish rituals. And Paul warns against them in the starkest terms. He says, watch out for those dogs. You know, he's not talking about your friendly family cockapoo there. He's talking about dangerous wild animal on the street. You know, a friend of mine on her gap year was bitten by a stray dog, had to be rushed to hospital for months of rabies treatment. He's saying, watch out for these dangerous, dangerous people. And of course, it's ironic because that is precisely what these people would have called non-Jewish people, dogs. And he says, watch out for them. They're not teaching you to do good, but doing evil. By circumcising you, they're not making you ritually clean, but mutilating your flesh. And Paul says, watch out, beware. So why are they so dangerous? Well, first of all, Paul says Christians are already on the inside with God. Just look at verse 3. For, because it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship God by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. See, the Bible teaches that when, when someone trusts Jesus as their Lord and Savior, when they glory in him, they receive his Holy Spirit, the life of God in the heart of man. And so all the things that circumcision was supposed to point to, a relationship with God, being in his people, if you're a Christian, Paul says you've got all of that. You have God dwelling within you by his spirit. We're the true insiders, Paul says, But look, negatively, here's the danger. These people put their confidence in the flesh. They put their confidence in the flesh. Notice how Paul uses himself as an illustration. Um, The second half of verse four, the beginning of the new paragraph. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. You want to get into a flesh competition, Paul says. Check me out. Okay, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, but not just Jewish, of the tribe of Benjamin, one of the two tribes that never rebelled against King David, a Hebrew of Hebrews. You know, I didn't grow up speaking Greek or Latin, English, German. Hebrew in my house, says Paul. In regard to the law, not one of those liberals who takes it easy, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness by the law, faultless. Paul says, look, I could look at my life in Judaism and I could pray, Lord, thank you that I am not like other men. I was observant. I was faultless. In the Old Testament, the Jewish people were the chosen people of God. And so Paul says, look at me. I was as Jewish as they come. Confidence 
in the flesh. See, if you want to get your head around what confidence in the flesh is, spell the word flesh backwards and just cross out the letter H. See, confidence in yourself. Paul here boasts in who he is, where he came from, and what he's done. Birth, bloodline, and achievement. And Paul says, look, when you think like this, it is dangerous. Beware of having your confidence spiritually in things inside of yourself. I don't know when was the last time you had a job interview. I guess for some of us it will um, have been longer ago than others. I remember coming to, uh, to interview here at Fullwood Church. It, that, that was my most recent interview. And um, it was a beautiful sunny day. It was in the 30s, okay? I can barely remember what that feels like. And, um, and Paul Williams, our vicar, he, he said to me, oh, um, it's always like this in Sheffield's. <laughs> And um, then everyone in the room laughed for like an uncomfortably long time. And I, okay, so, so this is the one sunny day they're going to have all year, I thought to myself. But you know, when, when you go to a job interview, you've, you submit your CV where you've really put the best spin you can on everything you've done. And then you present yourself in the best light that you possibly can. And essentially you say, look, this is the best me. Do you think you can imagine hiring me? And you hope it'll be enough that you'll be welcomed in and that you've pulled the wool over their eyes just about enough. And, um, and Paul says, look, these, these people, they approach having a relationship with God a bit like that job interview. Put your best foot forward. List your achievements. Here are the things about my background, about my family, about what I've done. That ought to mean that I'm safe and secure, that I have self-worth, that God should welcome me with open arms. And Paul says, beware of thinking like that. Beware of putting your confidence in yourself. I guess there are not many people in um, modern Sheffield who express that confidence by saying, I am as Jewish as I could possibly be. But we could easily think of modern equivalents, couldn't we? The person who says to themselves, I know that I'm going to be all right because I've grown up in a Christian family. I've been baptized. I go to a lively church and I go every week. I serve. I read the Bible. I'm moral and upright. And so I know that I'm secure. Or the person who says, well, I, I'm educated. I try to be kind to people. I give to charity. I'm, I'm passionate about the environment. I care about animals. I recycle and I'm a vegan. Look, none of these are bad things. None of these are bad things. But Paul says, beware of thinking that you are secure spiritually because of things in yourself, about your background or your achievements. Beware of self-confidence. It promises life, but it doesn't deliver, according to Paul. And I, I know we'll say, look, I'm, I'm a Christian. I know that I should trust in Jesus. But it's easy, isn't it, to be drawn away from focusing on Jesus. So that when I think about my relationship with God, I think... It's probably going all right. 
I've managed to read my Bible every morning this week, so I'm probably doing okay. I really gave myself to serving those kids at Keswick, so I'm, I'm probably doing all right with God. And again, they're good things, but Paul says, beware of being distracted away from trusting Jesus so that you look um, to things in your own life, to, to yourself. And beware of Christian teachers who talk about Jesus, but he isn't there all in all. That actually what really gets them excited is something else. Their denomination, spiritual gifts, their social action project, whatever it is. Good things, but beware of the Christian teacher who distracts you from Jesus instead of leading you to him. Beware of self-confidence. But then the example, the great example of Paul's own life. Paul says, this is what will keep you safe. Rejoice in knowing Jesus Christ. Rejoice in knowing Jesus Christ. After that extraordinary list of Paul's achievements, he says in verse seven, verse seven, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord for whose sake I've lost all things, I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. You see, when Paul met Jesus Christ, it changed the way he did his accountancy spiritually. See, Paul was a morally excellent man. He was deeply devout. He was opposed to the Christian church precisely because he believed it was bad for society. But then, on the road, on the way to Damascus to kill Christians, he met the risen Jesus Christ. And he realized that his whole life had been wrong. Jesus, who he thought was a failure had been raised from the dead in history and was stood in front of him. And if the one that he had spent his life ignoring and opposing was in fact the Lord of life, then his moral achievements didn't add up to very much. Everything that went in the spiritual profit column in his old way of thinking, he realized added up to zero and less than zero. It was loss. And that's true of every Christian. That for every Christian, there is a point that we see who Jesus is and we realize that our own achievements don't add up to much at all. That we need Christ to rescue us. I remember reading the Bible for the first time as a 16-year-old. And as I read Mark's gospel, becoming increasingly convinced that Jesus was far greater than I thought. And as I saw that... I became more and more convinced that I was far worse than I thought until I realized that I needed Christ and to trust him. And every true Christian will know that experience. But notice that Paul doesn't just say that it's his spiritual achievements that he views differently. Verse eight, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. 
If you go um, walking in the peaks, it's beautiful out there, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, the views are spectacular. The, the, the scenery, the occasional breaks in the rain, it's wonderful. But it's not all good, is it? Because there's that moment that comes every now and again where you're not really looking where you're going, and then your foot steps in something awful. And as you turn up your shoe, you realize that the worst has happened, and it's a right mess. And if you're unlucky, your pushchair and both of your children have gone through it too. (laughs) And Paul says, in verse 8, all the things in his life, I consider them rubbish. And the word he uses there for rubbish is a strong word. It's a word for the rubbish that comes out of your drain from your toilet. It's the word for the stuff you step on that gets on your shoe. And Paul says, when I think about all the achievements, all the blessings, all the good things in my life, they're rubbish. They're like the stuff on the bottom of my shoe compared to how good it is to know Jesus Christ. That knowing Jesus is better than everything, better than friends, family, career, holidays, respect, security, all of that, Paul says, I counted as rubbish that I might gain Christ. And and you know, when Paul says that, when he writes this, he's not being hypothetical. Paul was a powerful man, a rising star in the first century religious and academic world. Paul's the guy who, if I can put it like this, gave up a corner office in any synagogue in Jerusalem to be locked up in a prison cell, all because he knew Jesus and wanted to make him known. Paul was the guy who gave up a conference speaker's position with thousands of listening ears to speak to two or three women by a river in Philippi because they were searching for God and he wanted to speak about Jesus. He was a man who had given up, lost, in verse 8, all things, comfort, career, respectability. He'd lost it all for Jesus. And he says, look, I had it all, and it was all worth giving up to know Jesus and make him known. And and look, if you're a Christian here today, God might not call you to give up all of those things, but that is what it means to rejoice in the Lord. To rejoice in the Lord is to see Jesus as he is so that we know that he is better than anything else. So that enjoying Jesus makes all the other good things of life Well, pale into comparison, frankly. And someone will say, what's so good about Jesus? I mean, that is a huge claim, isn't it? To say, rejoice in Jesus, love him, enjoy him more than everything in your life, and he'll be worth it. Uh, Paul lists a few different things about Jesus that make him worth everything. Have a look at verse 9 for one of them. Um, That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Jesus gives us a right standing before God, a right relationship 
with God. The word righteousness in that verse, it's a, it's a legal term for being declared not guilty, but in the right. Uh, I used to work um, at the Old Bailey, the Central Criminal Court in London for a little while, and um, I can't even imagine how stressful it must be to stand in the dock on trial in a courtroom in the Old Bailey. And those courtrooms are bigger than you would imagine and far more intimidating when you've got the judge sat there on his bench and you've got the jury and you've got everyone else who's in there and the tension it must be to wait to hear the verdict for someone stood in the dock. And I can't even imagine what the tension must be like if you knew that you were guilty. Friends, we are guilty in the way that we've treated God. We're guilty of not treating God in the way that we should. And we'll face him one day. But Jesus Christ came down from heaven and went to a cross and bore the penalty that we deserve. He took our guilty verdict and the right punishment for sin. It's as if the judge himself took off his robes and stepped down and came into the dock and said, I will take your place. So that if we trust him, he is declared guilty of the way that we've treated God And we are declared in the right with God. Not because we have been, but because he has been for us. That is why Paul calls it a righteousness that comes from God. That God would declare you right. Not because of anything that you've done, your self-confidence, but because of what Christ has done on your behalf. Uh, It's why Christian faith is spiritually saying, I have nothing going for me apart from Jesus Christ. I could do nothing. He had to do it all. And when you see that that's true for you, then you have to treasure Jesus. Rejoice in knowing him because he has done it all for you. Declared you right with God. If only you trust him. A righteousness that comes from God by faith in verse 9. But there's more. Verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Uh, Paul says that knowing Jesus is the key to spiritual power. The power of Jesus' resurrection now. And it's a power that comes, verse 10, through the fellowship, the partnership, the participation of sharing in his sufferings. Do you see, if you know Jesus, if you share in a relationship with him, you will suffer in life. You will lose out on some things. Life could well be less comfortable for you being a Christian, but in that, in joining him, in taking up your cross and following him, Paul says you will know the power of his resurrection to keep you going, to keep you saying Jesus is better 
so that I consider all things lost compared to the all-surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. I was talking to a friend a few months ago. He's been through the most appalling year imaginable. I'm not sure I can even describe to you the things that he and his family have experienced, but he said to me, Andy, Jesus has helped me in ways I can't even begin to describe to you this year. And Paul says, if you know Christ, then as you share in his sufferings, as you walk the way of the cross, you will experience the power to keep going. Jesus has helped me in ways I can't even begin to describe to you. And then verse 11, the power of his resurrection for the future. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. When Paul says somehow there, he's not saying, I don't know how I'm going to get there. Uh, He's not saying, I don't know if I'm going to get there. But he's in prison and he's saying, I don't know how. Will I live or die? What will be the route to resurrection for me? He doesn't know, but he's certain of this. That if he knows Jesus who rose from the dead, then he will be raised too. It's one of those great moments of adulthood, isn't it? When someone close to you dies and you realize for the first time your own mortality. You know, for the first time you really know that you will die and that your life will end. And that thought crosses your mind. Is Is it all meaningless then? And Paul says, if you know Jesus, there is a life after death. He'd seen life after death on the road to Damascus. He'd spoken to life after death. And knowing Jesus gives a doorway to an eternal life. And so, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. You see, knowing him is worth more than anything and everything that you could consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing him. I think it's a great diagnostic for us as Christians. How do I feel about Jesus at the moment? Whatever your situation, whether you're on a high or a low in life at the moment, how do you feel about Jesus Christ And maybe this week we need to look again at the Gospels and see how good it is to know our Lord Jesus. And it's a great safeguard for us. This is the thing that will keep us going, that will keep us safe from distraction and self-confidence to see Jesus for who he is and rejoice in him. And so, brothers and sisters... This week, rejoice in the Lord. It will keep you safe. Let me pray. Our Lord God, we pray that this evening, that this week and forevermore, you would help us to be those who see Jesus for who he is and see the rest of our lives in right perspective because of that, so that we rejoice in him. Amen.